All right. Hi, and welcome to The Mind of a Skeptical Leftist, the podcast where I talk to a variety of people to spread critical thinking, progressive politics, and left-wing philosophy. And today I'm joined by Jeff Thomas Black, uh, author of The Full Dash Closure and uh, host of the podcast as well. Thanks for joining me. My pleasure, Corey. Thanks for inviting me. I've been looking forward to it. For sure. It's uh I've been following you for a little while. I think I think when I started following you, you had fewer followers than I do, and now you have roughly 10 times as many followers as I do. <laughs> it's it's growing. Uh timing is everything. This is this is some combination of bad timing and good timing. It's bad timing in that uh I get to live through this in my lifetime as as you do. It's good timing in that for the last three years, I've been working on this project mm. of the gig economy first as a, as a participant, as a laborer in the gig economy for a couple of years, as I learned and, and processed what it was like to be employed and directed by AI. <laughs> and that was, a real, that was a real trip. And and interestingly enough, people say, well, you did 5,521 deliveries. Why did you do it if it was exploiting you? Well, I did it for the same reasons everyone else does it. <laughs> I got to pay bills. <laughs> it was a pandemic and I was desperate and there was no other opportunities. But I, also, <laughs> yep. but I also did it and I kept doing it because I knew there was a bigger story there than what I was being told. I knew from day one I was being deceived and used but i didn't quite know how and unfortunately right. over the last year since i since i quit the uh, labor aspect of the gig economy and went into the research aspect of the gig economy i learned about artificial intelligence and the systemic way in which the gig economy is enslaving humanity not just for the gig economy that's an entry point but for the rest of our time <laughs> as laborers to the system and the system yeah. will no longer be evil corporations directed by boards of directors those folks will all be completely immaterial the system will just be corporate shells running ai programs that own and direct us in totality so it's it's truly a scary time uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it doesn't sound very it, it sounds a little bleak <laughs> it doesn't sound good it does it does. I was really worried about that. It's very difficult to introduce a book or a work or a concept that's going to challenge everything that people know about their existence, their perception of work, their perception of income, their perception of time, their perception of reality. Because right. one of the keys, the big key of AI is that it tricks our human perceptions into believing there's some anthropomorphized character mm -hmm. out there that is directing us in a way we can comprehend. Uh, there is no anthropomorphized <laughs> character. This is just a, a conglomeration yeah. of, of algorithms put together by the most genius data scientists and systems developers on the planet to exploit you. Yeah. It's so, so everything that we know and we perceive as human beings is being disrupted. And it's being disrupted not for, let's say, the wealthy, not for the comfortable middle class, maybe not even for the comfortable lower working class, but for the most desperate and deceived and exploited workforce 
in the world today as has always been, which is people of color, women, people that are disenfranchised from the workforce, people already living in poverty and desperation where they don't have as many choices. So the, the hideousness of this scheme that will creep from this bottom up into now you see with chat GPT and the, the higher level right. AI development, it's going to creep up into this, into this working class and middle class. Uh, and you know, that progression is happening extraordinarily quickly. So to my surprise, to some extent, this, this new paradigm has converged with, with the completion of my book and my work to uh, be a real humdinger. Uh, but not in a good way because I have two <laughs> children that I'd like to live their full lifespans, and I think this puts that severely at risk. Yeah, it's a it's an odd time. Like I I also worked gig work during the pandemic. Like I uh, and then oh, you did wow, and then I did uh, for like I don't know for six months because the company I worked for they wanted to put me on a schedule I couldn't deal with. I worked gig work for about six months uh, for that. And uh, so I have a personal stake in how bad this actually is. Mm-hmm. Uh, at first, it seemed okay because you get lots of deliveries or lots of trips. If you're doing Uber, you get lots of uh, lots of good opportunities, it feels like. But then as you go, you start to realize, well, I'm spending more and more time sitting in a parking lot doing nothing. And I can't contact anybody to see what the hell's going on and why I haven't had a delivery in two hours. Right. <laughs> so it's very, it's very like, yeah, it's very like you're stuck just thinking like, am I doing something wrong? How do I survive if I don't get a delivery suit? Right. And there is, there's no anybody to contact. Right. Right. Like, so, so even <laughs> that is an illusion when you're working for, for AI because there's, so there's two complementary impossibility scenarios for AI. One, and and it's particularly called black box AI because the output that comes out of it is completely a product of a process that is number one, unexplainable Mm -hmm. by definition and for humanity. And number two, ununderstandable, even if you could explain it. (laughs) <laughs> that's a that's a real big problem for humanity to turn our uh, economic sovereignty over to a figure that becomes essentially the the oracle, the god of our little uh, app world, and that's why that's why it becomes app slavery. Is right. that we become trapped in this new vortex that is not organic. It's not the real world. We just act like it is and it moves us around like playing pieces in the real world but it's not the real world so that's the that's the challenge is that when the when the cognitive dissonance comes there's no there's no answer to that cognitive dissonance that cognitive <laughs> right. is very rational in this term like you don't know you'll never know yeah right yeah and uh one of the things that always got me was the hot spots oh. <laughs> Right. You drive from hotspot to hotspot, and then you sit there for 30 minutes and the hotspot disappears and another one pops up over there. So you drive over to that one. Very so, what's like, so Corey, let's, let's, it's a great example. Tell me what a hotspot is. Define a hotspot ah, for the audience. Yes, a hotspot is supposedly a spot that is in where everybody 
Well, there are lots of deliveries within the area of this location, mm-hmm. supposedly. But so, you will often <laughs> yeah, drive right. there and not get any. So let's 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 imagine a scenario where you and I are both on the clock for for one of these gig app companies. Let's call it DoorDash. So we're sure. both on the clock for DoorDash and we're in the same parking lot right now. We will not have the same hotspots necessarily on our screen. Right. Those hotspots are not organic hotspots of busy humans in real time. Right. Those are number one simulated hotspots predicting human activity in real time. If they're that, because since you and I don't have the same ones, we can actually surmise that it's a way for the AI to move me where it wants me to go, whether it's to cool my heels or get lots of work. And then it moves you where it wants you to go, either to cool your heels or get lots of work. So this is is the problem that I would say 99% of the people still participating in gig apps don't understand is that they're being gamed not a little bit, they're being gamed totally, in totality. They are being served up a world that they believe they understand, that they believe is relevant to where they sit, to what they do, to to maybe even some choices that they make within the app. None of that's the case. Right. <laughs> yeah it's like what do they say like the mouse that makes a certain choice or, or what have you and thinks okay well that that choice leads to this outcome right but that's not what actually happens because you can make that choice a hundred times and that's not what led to that outcome right so so 15 restaurants and 15 drivers gives us 15 to the 15th power uh, options for deliveries which is over a trillion options So anybody out there delivering in a community that has more than 15 restaurants and more than 15 drivers must know that they can't comprehend the number of combinations and ways that they could be sent to job. Yeah. Not only can they not understand it numerically, logically, but the system isn't logical within the system of DoorDash. The AI has the ability to slow the system down or speed the system up. It controls both the supply and the demand of labor. So it controls how many ways this pie, this economic pie is going to be divided up by a thousand drivers or a thousand and two drivers or a thousand five hundred drivers. That's all. That is not part of a market. That's all determined by the AI, whether they call more in or whether they whether they let more off. Now, they don't even have to call more in or let more off. They can just increase the distance to the restaurants that they put out to yep. the drivers. So yep. they can just they can just make it take 60 seconds long systemically for every driver to get to their route. Right. <laughs> Again, you know, this is the power of an omnipotent God over <laughs> a human workforce. It's hideous. It's hideous. When yeah. you really realize, when you understand what's going on, you will scream out loud. And if you don't, we need to talk. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's all like, uh, it wasn't DoorDash, but there was another app that I, I worked because I, I did four apps at the same time <laughs> in order to make a living. And and you didn't kill yourself or anybody else while you were doing it either. No, huh? no, that's right. Well done. But whenever somebody asked me, should I do this? Should I go into Uber or should I do DoorDash? I said, well, you can survive, but
but you have to be available 24 hours a day, seven days a week to work. And, and that's how you survive just, just to survive, not to thrive, not to get enough money to like pay your taxes just to survive. Yeah. And <laughs> the costs, including oh, yeah. the risk that you're taking to do that, while you believe you're doing enough to survive, you may or may not actually get there. Because one of these, one of the most insidious things about the gig economy, the concept of the gig economy, mm. is it's a, it's, it's a transfer of both capital investment requirements and risk from corporations to not only labor, but to impoverished labor and desperate labor. So let's, let's do that again. So the risk of anything, the risk of time delays, the risk of traffic, the risk of restaurant delays, the risk yeah. of uh, customer being unavailable, the risk of your car breaking down, the risk of you blowing your head gasket, all of those things, those are on you. There's no corporate fleet that is yeah. being managed here. Those are now on the impoverished workers who you can bet are probably not driving 2022 BMWs. They're, they're <laughs> driving a car that might need a little bit more work yeah in two years of doing this 5,521 precisely uh deliveries and i never used any other gig app than doordash uh, okay. by design because because i wanted to understand this one very completely and it's at a 65 percent current market share it's the gorilla right. you want to focus focus on the gorilla yeah in that time forty thousand miles on my car 40,000 miles I did. Now, I, uh, my coup de gras, one of my, like say, one of my last two weeks of driving, it was about 102 degrees here in Indiana. And I, uh, my, my water pump and timing belt blew. Now that's a, that's, that's a $2,000. Yep. <laughs> and it puts oh, you out of commission, right? Like, <laughs> yeah, well, that's $2,000 repair in the old world. In the new world, you can't get your Volkswagen uh, Passat even looked at for three and a half weeks in Bloomington, Indiana. Oh, geez. Yeah. So, wow. so, so subtract $2,000 from your bank account, if you have it or not. Right. And then you're off work for at least three and a half to four weeks just for them to look at your car and fix it. So yeah. that transfer of risk from corporations to individuals is purely toxic, right? It's, it is unsustainable as is the entire gig economy. And we'll get into that. Why are they doing it if it's unsustainable? <laughs> Cause that's, that's the operative question. It's a good question. Yeah. It's a very yeah. good question. I, how has, or I may, I don't know, maybe you know this has, how has the AI uh, or the app AI evolved since the original gig economy started? It's a really good question. It's just, I, I noticed like I did, I used to notice because I did this when like Uber was brand new in my city and it seemed like, Every week, there's a new update to the app, mm -hmm. the the Uber driver app. Right. And every week, there's a new, like, okay, so now I'm sitting in places longer. Now I'm, you know, they're, they're always putting out promotions to get new drivers. So then 
you're always losing the demand or spreading it more thinly. And it seemed like the app, like it would one week, it would have a contact help button and the next week it wouldn't. And the next in the, and then suddenly it would be like, Oh, uh, you could push this button for, you know, safety features, but then it doesn't work the next week. <laughs> so I'm curious, like how the apps and how the evolution of the, the whole thing kind of, how has that really gone? I, the, number one, for anybody that's been doing it. So, so again, I started pretty much during the height of the pandemic after the, after the total lockdowns were, were lifted. For anybody that's been looking at this market over the last three years, there's been a race to the bottom in terms of in terms of how much income after expenses, the net income that gig workers have been have been getting out of this. So people that were once making maybe enough to really get by are now coughing up blood and using five different apps to try and call together. (laughs) income. Yeah. Yeah. So. So that's what you talked about. They call in the in the gig economy uh, worker space. They call that multi-apping. Yeah. So in in the early days, I think people could attach themselves to a single gig app, pay attention to that gig app, time what the patterns are, and call something together. And as there's been this race to the bottom with the net income that these gig apps have been providing as more labor has become available in the space. And that's the other, you know, they, they have more desperate labor to uh, exploit yeah. now. Yeah. So there's more exploitative, exploitable labor now than ever. So combine those two things with a higher supply of, of exploitable labor and then the ability once they have that exploitable labor involved, there becomes a couple things. There becomes the the status quo bias. Even if it's heinous and abusive and slavery, people get used to it. People get yep, used to yep. gratuitous convenience and they get attached to a schedule of seven day a week flexibility over a nine to five. And And so there's many, many reasons that that this market has expanded but but most importantly it's because these apps are insidious they are addictive to both customers and to laborers and then in terms of merchants and restaurants while they may not be addictive they're highly predatory so right, once they right. get those hooks in with the with the contract it's very very difficult to get those hooks out. And they had a real good selling point when they when they convinced all these poor suckers in businesses that were suffering during a pandemic that the way out was was delivery to their delivery. Customers. Yeah. Yeah. But the problem is they that these gig apps are fighting an eternity of history prior to the pandemic in which uh, for the United States, 99 percent of retailers and 85 percent of restaurants, which is pretty much everybody but pizza places, did right. not have delivery to their customers prior to the pandemic, yeah. right? So delivery markets and DoorDash knew this when they were starting up with the Y Combinator out of Stanford. I mean, they had a, an AI scam from the start, but even right. they knew their AI scam was tailored toward high income, dense, dense uh, localities. They right. knew this was a market 
you know, that was that was for St. Louis and for New York City <laughs> and for Los Angeles and for San Francisco, and that they needed certain demographics to make this thing fought. Yeah. Now yep. today, how is this developed? Well, no longer is it about certain demographics. They've peanut buttered this thing around every small town and suburban community in the U.S. because it's no longer about delivery. Yeah. DoorDash is losing more money today per delivery than any other time in the last 10 years. So here's, mm -hmm. that, here's that question you ask, right? So if DoorDash, the market leader at 65%, is losing more money today per delivery than at any time in the last 10 years, <laughs> then how are they, then why how are are they, they still going? Yeah. There's, there's two reasons. When you're when you're losing money like like corporations do, and that's uh, yeah. and investors like SoftBank, and they expect this now, you're buying and monopolizing markets, right? They're subsidizing the price, these highly discounted prices that they're giving to consumers to to suck them in. They're subsidizing this with a loss from the corporation. Yeah. Well, how long can corporations lose money? I don't know. Amazon became um, the yeah. <laughs> Amazon became the first corporation to lose over a trillion dollars in market cap, which is the number of shares outstanding times the market price. So they, they're the first corporation in humanity to lose a trillion dollars of market value. Now, market value, since we're not selling yeah. Amazon, market value is not really the most important metric. It's more of kind of a, a funny anecdote. But they are losing money and losing yep. money is, is you know, that's in the red with either the parentheses or it's got a negative sign, whatever. However you you do the loss, they're losing. So what are they gaining with that loss? Well, in, in DoorDash, which I consider by far the technological leader as well as the market leader, they now have 27 nations in DoorDash. They acquired wow. Bolt Enterprises, which is out of, uh, oh, why can I not remember uh sweden I think. okay anyway bolt w-o-l-t they inquired acquired bolt during the pandemic which added 23 more nations <laughs> to their to their little app slavery campaign wow and that's so app colonization and i made up i had to make up a new vocabulary for this stuff because it didn't exist <laughs> right app, app colonization and app slavery is the long game DoorDash takes a percentage of economic activity without any capital investment and with no employees. Mm -hmm. So take that to the next step. What would you do is you could enslave any corporate workforce, any local workforce, any national workforce anywhere in the world with this technology. And that yeah. is the long game that they're playing that, of course, they don't want anyone to know. Nobody else even talks about. Right, That's right. Playing. They are losing money because once they get DoorDash AI in place, whether it's a corporate owned scenario or whether it's a gig app type scenario, it doesn't even matter. Right. Because once that AI is running the humans for exploitation and profit maximization, it's all over. And unfortunately, for the gig economy, it's all over. The only thing that can be done now is to kill it and burn it with fire. That's it. There's no, there is no way. There's no way to reform the gig economy. You can't game a right. game. You can't go in and fix Call of Duty so that you know, so that so that the good guys win. I mean, it's a game, right? It's, yeah. It's, you, 
it's it's intentionally no set up this way. So it's yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Like I, I think about like how how they really got lucky with the pandemic, right? Like <laughs> they would have been like uh, our local government. I I don't know if you've heard of uh, the Canadian company Skip the Dishes. I have not. It's it's like DoorDash, but it's from Canada, and it was developed in Saskatchewan, where I'm from. And our provincial and they say government instead of about that's the difference. Yeah, that's right. Okay. <laughs> yeah, and our provincial government, Saskatchewan's government, actually invested in it, and oh. <laughs> and like the owners, like it's very, it's it's uh, essentially it's DoorDash from Canada, <laughs> but uh, but it's 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 interesting, like that the government would invest in this you know, not ever thinking about how the long-term effects of it. And then also like they've expanded there all the way throughout Canada or what have you, but they different provinces had to put new rules in place so that they couldn't charge restaurants as much, but then they didn't put any protections in for the workers. <laughs> so they just, you know, charge more and, take less more out of the pocket of the driver and like right it's it's whack-a-mole if you if you whack it down one place it pops up in another that's place. right that's, yeah that's the nature of these game worlds they did the same thing in the united states where san francisco or somebody put in a cap on what what doordash could charge in terms of you know x they called it what whatever fees they were calling it and so i mean doordash went back and they put in a san francisco fee i mean they just like <laughs> a complete you know f you to your face because well, you didn't say you didn't say it couldn't be called this. I mean, again, so this yeah. is uh, these are the limits of 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 uh, using human systems, whether they be politicians or whether they be bureaucracies, to contain a simulation in a game world. Is that they don't they don't work? They can't work. They can't keep because, up. <laughs> right, because we go back to those two impossibility, those two paired impossibility scenarios, right? How can a politician or a government regulate something they, they don't understand and they can't understand? That's it makes me think of uh, the guys in Congress or what have you. They're arguing with Je uh, what's his name from Meta, Facebook guy. Right. And they're like, well, what about this and this and this? And they have no idea what they're actually talking about. And he's just like, well, sir, we're going to this is what we're actually doing. And that's not how that right. works. And you want to talk about you want to talk about some connections if you want to get really scared. Okay, so we know SoftBank was behind a huge amount of the WeWork debacle. Mm -hmm. SoftBank's a huge uh, investor in uh, Uber with with Saudi, with, <laughs> with Saudi Arabian money and massive Chinese operations, and they're a major investor in DoorDash. Now, DoorDash's sure. CEO, Tony Hsu, is now on the board of directors for Meta. So he's a good pal of Mark Zuckerberg, right? So you got uh -huh. in there. So, I mean, you want to talk about an evil empire of, of connections here. Yeah, no You'd kidding. be terrified. If people thought that Meta was bad, if people thought that, that, that Facebook was uh, was a, a existential threat to humanity somehow get into your head that now Tony Sue and DoorDash are partnered with Meta. 
and they want to sell you door, they want to have DoorDash delivery in the metaverse. And they want to have people employed in the metaverse <laughs> to give you, you know, to give you metaverse customer yeah. support uh, so that you can go to Snoop Dogg show and get your DoorDash delivered to your virtual seat. I don't know, man. This yeah, is well, yeah. that shit. But these, these, I mean, Saudi Arabia, China, SoftBank, Meta, DoorDash, Uber. I mean, are you waiting for Satan to pop up and go, I'm the new CEO? I mean, what, what else could you possibly want in terms of in terms of societal, economic, corporate evil involved in this in this triad? And they're all colluding. They're all colluding with every government in the world to make the right. gig economy the standard. And the gig economy, make no mistake about it, is the end of human labor and human employment as we know it. Yeah, like I, I often like uh, I think of like the idea of I mean, maybe there wouldn't be some industries that could adopt it in the same way. But you think about managers and how ma bad managers are at managing just the workers, right? Uh, keeping track of what needs to be done and what have you usually has to be done by on the ground workers anyway. And then you take like a human out of that and you go, <laughs> well, we're just going to insert a program. Into, into this place <laughs> and it's going to somehow track everything and, and know everything that it needs to know to adapt to whatever circumstances. It just doesn't make any sense. Like that well, it would actually work. There's a couple really important points about what you just said. Number one, when you get to that level of AI management, quality and integrity and service no longer make play any part in the transaction. They are skimming right. a percentage of total receipts. Thus, <laughs> the organizing AI entity has no concern for training or competency or safety or value or anything yeah. else. It just becomes the psychopath's, you know, monolithic profit motive. So when you're a consumer and you want customer service, doesn't exist anymore. If you're a laborer right. and you want customer service, doesn't exist anymore. Uh, it might exist for merchants and restaurants while the independents are still alive because they, they want your bigger share of the money. But there's a huge problem is that by design, gig app laborers are not trained, not supported, not funded. Uh, yeah. They're ubiquitous drones, which will be hired and fired without any human recourse or concern whatsoever. Now, let's yeah. take the next level of people that aren't gig app workers. We are already getting screwed today because AI is screening every resume you ever send in through mm. the Internet. AI is, is sorting out the resumes that a human will ever see. AI right. is even being used. Last week, there was just an article out that 98% of the HR executives uh, polled said they either are or will use AI for termination decisions. What? Yeah. Yeah. This is great stuff, man. <laughs> That's terrible. Yeah. Oh well, sorry. So it's, okay, one, it's terrible. Two, it's been happening for a number of years now and nobody's told you. Yeah, I suppose. So if you want to know why a 50-year-old uh, person with a master's in business from Duke and 25 years of experience can't get hired, it's because no human ever sees my resume. 
Right, right. It doesn't. It doesn't matter. It doesn't matter whether you're. You know, it, that's not the profile that they want. They want yeah. young, cheap, and inexperienced to be used. Right? You don't want that's right. somebody that's going to put up a fight. And uh, <laughs> to, to the the race to the bottom for all of humanity and all of labor is tied to this development of AI in the gig economy. And it's and it's corporate AI to be specific. Let's not just call it AI. This is right. corporate AI that was developed by corporations explicitly and only to exploit humans and human markets. That's it. Yeah. Yeah. That's why it was invented. So if you think that the chess computer that was invented to beat the chess masters is going to decide to lose to your six-year-old because it's nice, that's not nope. the case. It's going, to beat your <laughs> it's going to beat your grandma and it will beat the grandmaster too. It doesn't care. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. And you can see that, like, like you say, the apps, they don't care if the driver is making enough money that day. They just care if it works for the system. Or no, let's, how be, let's be explicit. The gig economy has been built upon coercive AI gamification and gamblification where mm -hmm. they can force or coerce, same thing, really, impoverished laborers to lose money on individual contracts, which is by definition slavery. So, so this system has already been designed to enslave humans with the idea that if you do slavery for this individual contract, then on a future individual contract, I'm going to give you some net income. Yeah, that's, that's not <laughs> really legitimate, number one. And number two, even if it was an, even if this was an organic market, even if this was tied to the real world that we know and understand, every single gig app from Uber to DoorDash to Grubhub, you name it, withholds material information when they try to get the independent contractor to agree or decline his contract. So it's not a legitimate contract. I can't sell you a car and then right. run away and you get in and turn the key and there's no engine inside. <laughs> I withheld material information from you that when you turn the key, there's no engine and nothing's going to happen. So that's yeah. not a legitimate car sale. You're going to come back to me. And so what these guys do, so for Uber, for example, they dole out these, these, these rides and I'm no Uber expert, but they don't tell the person where they're going or where they're driving to because they know that a rational human would be going like, I'm not going there. That's where people get shot after midnight, number one. So humans right. would discriminate against where they go and, and what they do. And number two, humans would go, wait a minute, that's a bad economic offer. That's going to send me way over here where I don't want to go. So because yeah. their offers, if fully disclosed, would be turned down, they have determined in this world with no rules that they can just <laughs> they can just withhold material information. The yeah. problem is that when we step back out of the gig economy, the rules of a contract in the real world say that you have to materially you have to disclose material information. So it is clearly my argument within the book and right here with you today that there is not a single contract signed with a gig economy company from a independent contractor agreement with a laborer to a consumer that agrees to some program to a restaurant or a merchant, there's not a single one of those contracts that is legitimate and that should not be uh, yeah. dissolved immediately. Because 
it's all fraud. It is, yeah. it is fraud and it can't be anything else. You just can't that, be. <laughs> that, uh, that actually really nails uh, why, like I found that I couldn't make a living on the gig on the using the gig economy apps because you would have it like for DoorDash, I think, or it was maybe it was skip the dishes they had where it would come up and it would say approximately two kilometers away. Yeah, fuck, fuck you. <laughs> and I would drive 12 kilometers to get to the restaurant. And then I still got to drive another six to the delivery. And you go, how was that two kilometers <laughs> or one point, yeah. you know, whatever kilometers, how can I do that for $5? Like I can't do that trip for $5. It just didn't make any sense. Well, and so, so you could say, so people, people use this term glitch. A lot of, oh, lot yeah. of gig Well, that's <laughs> a, is that a glitch? There's no such thing as a glitch. There is 10,000 data scientists and system developers that make sure that that glitch never happens. That right. is on purpose. And, and so, so for example, with DoorDash, they, every single offer is an unsolvable equation. Even if you knew your hourly expenses of what it costs you, what your, what your gas, what your, what your depreciation on your vehicle is. Even if you knew every single metric in right. every offer, they, they fail to give you the information that would allow you to logically solve whether you're profitable on any given offer or not. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think you could easily argue that a corporation doling out unsolvable equations as independent contracts is committing fraud. It, right. It, yeah. It's just intentionally it misleading. <laughs> so, so how did our legislators and our regulators sleep on this when it's that profound? How does the how does the Canadian municipal uh, government sleep on this <laughs> when it's so profound? And I would just say it's it's back to this new paradigm. Mm. I don't mm. think they even understand what they're actually doing because they're not processing the power of AI managing human activity relative to a human, uh, yeah. you know, back, back to this, back to this check chess game, right? Chess has been solved by AI period. End of story. There is yeah. no move a human can make in chess. that can be an AI computer. It's been solved. Right. So you put that, that same equation into the gig economy and you can see how, nothing but exploitation can ever happen. It is inherent in the system that was designed by corporations. And I'll give you another, another parallel because I think it's a really interesting thing that we can go into. In psychology, as it was developing, particularly in the 50s and the 60s, psychological experiments were run on human beings that could no longer be run today because mm -hmm. we found out, they found out, that those psychological experiments did present and permanent damage to the humans yeah. participating in the experiment. And we said to ourselves, that's not the concept of psychology. Like this is, this is a Hippocratic oath type scenario where first we must not do harm to our subjects right. to say that the outputs of this study are going to be valid and useful. So one great example of that is the Stanford prison experiment in which they yeah. took students and they, they randomly uh, assign them roles of either being a prisoner or a prison guard. And I think that experiment lasted less than 24 hours before they had to cut it off because it was so dysfunctional and people on both uh, the guard 
uh, group <laughs> and people in the prisoner group were literally losing their their minds and sanity and right and, and doing this. And so that was that's one great thing, and and it's illuminating about basically American policing, our prison industrial complex, you name it. Read about the Stanford yep, prison. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then there's the Milgram experiment uh, in which they put a human in a chair. And I think they introduced them to a friendly face that was going to go into the other room, an actor. And they went right. in the other room and they sat him in front of a dial and they said, here's a dial. And so if you turn it up to one, it's going to cause like, you know, a minor tingling in this subject. And at number three, it's going to cause, you know, this, this slightly painful sensation. At five, it's going to become very painful. You know, at, at 10, it could be lethal. It could be lethal. Right. So, and then they, they start assigning these people tasks. And they get these people who believe that they are that they are distributing uh, electrical voltage to a human being in another room. And I think, you know, for good measure, I think they they put some human yelps and, and screams and stuff in there. Yeah. As, as the uh, as the as the electricity got dialed up and they were able to convince people to dole out potentially lethal doses of electric shock <laughs> to this subject because they were told to. Because yeah. they were in the experiment yeah. and so he said you should. And so imagine the damage when they come, you know, you think you just possibly gave somebody the electric chair and then you come out and they go, hey, it was just a joke. Yeah, that's, you might <laughs> have an existential crisis to deal with. Yeah, that's you right. killed somebody and then maybe so it you turns out, Yeah, it turns out I'm it's the kind of person it. who does this. <laughs> <laughs> it turns out I'm a psychopath. Yeah. Like, oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. So, so this is this is extraordinarily analogous to where we are with AI today. Right. Is that with AI today, you've got systems engineers and data engineers that work in DoorDash in the Bay Area who are willing to dole out these lethal shocks to humanity because they're being told to do so. Are they evil people? Most of them are young immigrants from China and India and lots of other places. Yeah. Uh, on pieces, and I have a theory about you know abuse and uh, control of bringing people in on visas versus a native workforce. We can debate ah. that later. But you know, these people—do they know that they're creating societal nukes that are going to kill humanity? I don't know. I think a lot of them believe the believe the propaganda that they're given that they're right. creating something great and amazing, and they're also twenty-two to twenty-eight years old and don't know shit. Right. <laughs> no yeah. offense to 22 to 28 years old, which is the ages of my two kids. Right. <laughs> they, they just they don't understand yeah. what they're doing by creating this monster. So. So to step back and say, kill it and burn it with fire is not irrational any more than saying that we can't do Milgram and Stanford experiments on college students in right. 23. It's yeah. not. humane. It's yeah, just not. Right. Yeah, it's a system, like you say, of essentially it's enslavement. So maybe we shouldn't should look at the ethics of this instead of just, you know, going with the tech instead. Yeah. Not only are they not looking at the ethics, they're not even looking at the outputs. Right. right. They're, they're they're accepting the outputs as some version of fact or some version of legitimacy mm -hmm. when they're nothing of, of the sort. So. All of the credibility that's been given to the gig economy by billions and trillions of dollars of transactions is, is false.
Yeah, that makes sense. I, I mean, like you say, these companies, like, uh, I don't know if it was Uber. The first three years that I was like doing part-time Uber, there was, they were losing money every year. Yeah, still and, are. And, <laughs> and you go, well, how can this work? Well, they're spending, they're just expanding the market, expanding the market. Mm. At some point you're in every market. How, how, where does this go from there? So, so think about, let's, let's think about SoftBank in particular. Okay. Can you imagine that SoftBank even cares what their, what their uh, account is at any given day. <laughs> it's going to go up and down. And down and like, is, yeah. it, is it four trillion and three dollars, or is it three trillion yeah. nine thousand nine hundred nine? Yeah, I mean, it's so big, it's right. incomprehensible. It, it, it's irrelevant. This is a play for the monopolization on human enslavement via AI. That's mm. that's what this is, and there. There's no doubt about it. Lyft's about to go out of business. Lyft, Lyft is going to go bankrupt. And by the way, nobody wants that piece of shit. Right? right. Would, would DoorDash buy a company that hauls around human beings? No. I mean, DoorDash's secret power at 65% is they don't haul human beings around. They don't have yeah. to deal with the liability that Uber and Lyft carry around. They're dealing with packages, yeah. which means their standards are so low that if anything happens, it doesn't matter because, yeah. you know, you can lose. They, they can have an untrained person spill the drinks and poorly deliver some food. And it, it doesn't make any difference. You know, Uber and Lyft, when when their drivers crash or when their drivers attack uh, yeah. or get attacked by a customer, which is more likely. Like they, it really those, matters. Those, yeah. are, issues. those, are, those yeah. are human issues. And so. The ultimate enslavement is really through these these last mile delivery type apps like like DoorDash is doing and like DoorDash is deploying now to private businesses where you can just manage humans directly and not worry about their cargo because the cargo is a pain in the ass. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So instead, you can just send them to do a thing. <laughs> yeah. Send, send yeah. them to do a thing. Anything. Now, what, what are the things that they could do? They could go take pictures for surveillance of a grocery store. You just send a dasher right. out, take a picture of this shelf. And now I know, is this grocery store following the rules of our merchandising agreement or are they not? So right. any DoorDash driver can now be a spy. Now, DoorDash drivers can move drugs for you because now they have peer-to-peer -peer delivery. So you can just have DoorDash driver pick up the package. Any package from house. Yeah. And they'll go deliver it to another person's house and you just sent <laughs> from one side of the city to the other with no risk whatsoever. So who's who's yeah, so who exactly holds the liability there if the driver gets busted with a pound of cocaine? Well, so so Uber was already publicly called out for moving drugs. I believe it was in California. In okay. So this is this is not this is not an unprecedented scenario. But again, Uber traditionally and systemically involves hauling around humans. Take it to the DoorDash level, which I consider to be a, a much more powerful uh, right. engine for exploiting human beings. Now you don't even have any, any human trackability or accountability, right? And, and the beauty of DoorDash, right, is they don't even know their laborers. Right. They don't employ them. They don't service them. They don't give them customer support. They don't pay them. They don't answer the phone if they've got problems. They don't <laughs> know them. 
So if any yeah. given dasher lives or dies or anything else, DoorDash, who? Yeah. We, yeah. They, they don't employ any humans in the field. None. Zero zip. What a great, what a great play <laughs> at, wow. at, uh, at taking corporate accountability and making it disappear. No kidding. Because what can't you do in that scenario without plausible deniability? I didn't, I didn't know the guy was hauling cocaine. We thought he was hauling, <laughs> we thought he was hauling dog toys. Right. Not yeah. Our issue. Yeah. Right. So whose issue is it if, if all of these corporations that have been polluting and destroying our world and decreasing the wages for labor and everything else, if now they have plausible deniability on all their operations, then what? Right. Yeah. So who's, well, we know what that was. That's called the free rider syndrome. It all goes on society. Then you pay for it. I pay for it. Everybody listening to this podcast. It makes me it. think of like, uh, like Nestle or, or maybe it wasn't Nestle, but one of those, those companies that do chocolate in south uh, in south america or wherever it is right. and how they have private contractors that do the harvesting and those private contractors happen to use slave labor right and child slave labor and but nesty has no liability for it in the united states because it's a private right. contractor i have no connection to this right and this is right so this this game of connect the dots where we caught you know where we caught some some different uh, movie star or another endorsing products that were made by by child labor or Apple iPhones <laughs> that yeah. are being manufactured where they put nets around the factory so the workers that want to jump out the window to kill themselves can't do it effectively. Right, right. Like those those type of really cool labor scenarios. Yeah, man. So take that out. Add the plausible deniability. Well, and so yeah. let's talk. About, let's talk about something that's going to hit near and dear right now. So. Drunk driving took a real toll on the world as as cars became more commonplace and and filled our roads. Yep. And mothers that didn't drunk driving came out and they started campaigns and TV campaigns and the police forces and municipalities jumped in. So who's who's talking about the fact that drivers are all over our our streets now 24 hours a day with three or four different phones managing three or four different apps that are all giving them notifications and demanding that they interact while they're driving around our streets and that they're killing themselves killing other people getting in wrecks destroying uh our our roads and infrastructure for corporate profit and and again and nobody knows them right they're not employed by anybody they're contractors they're independent contractors yeah so so Sooner or later, the insurance industry or maybe just people that don't want their loved ones to die by gig app laborers are going to start to smoke out the fact that that this is insane. This yeah. is not a system that is sustainable from a human and societal perspective, because if you look at the accidents and you can you can look at my uh, at my book or, or my Twitter or, or whatever uh, mediums you you digest my work and see these are not isolated circumstances and the liability that these gig economy companies take in part is a joke right they'll 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 be liable for some small portion of an entire day that a gig app worker is driving around right and now if you've got any given gig app worker working two three four five 
different gig apps at the time, how would you even know if it's Uber or DoorDash that caused them to crash the car and right. kill your kid? Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, you can't. The, the notifications are going off all over the place. Is it Uber that killed my kid or is it DoorDash that killed my kid? Does it matter? Right. Right. At some point, it's just got to be the gig economy is now responsible, right? Right. And, and so so you say, well, is this a technical problem? No, it's not a technical problem. <laughs> Android, Android and iPhone both have the technology built into their app design platforms to turn off notifications while the while a vehicle is in motion. Your, your smartphone is able to tell if yeah. you're in a car moving or not and is able to silence notifications. But if they did that, it would break the system. Right. Yep. If they did not give notifications that endangered human life, their profitability would go down. And just like the companies that manufactured our opioids, are they willing to have a whole bunch of people die and pay a billion dollar fine for profit? Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, that's they will. Yeah. 100%. Good, solid economic corporate decision. So right now, they're choosing their attempts at uh, profitability, but mostly their play for monopolization of, of global app slaves versus your life. Yes. That's the calculation they made. If that's cool with you, order lunch from DoorDash today. That's, <laughs> it, that's, it, the, it, that's the best one. <laughs> if you want to kill it, yeah. order DoorDash today. Right. Eh? I, uh, it reminds me because we often, you know, like we often talk about the danger of truck drivers driving you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a oh, week, yeah. you know, and how tired they get and how we have to really, we have to regulate this industry and really have to, but when every driver is doing that now, like you've got however many other drivers that they're not, maybe not they're they're not driving big rigs, but they're driving various different sizes of vehicles. There's thousands and thousands and thousands Listen, of them. There's a hell of a lot more of them and they're not trained at all. Truck drivers yeah. are professional drivers. That's right. They know their ass is on the line because they're hauling a big rig with a big load and they know lives are on the line. Yeah. These drivers out there, remember, they could be on their first shift ever with DoorDash when they're driving off the road. And many of them are, right? Yeah. The less experienced they are, and and there's this is constant turnover, right? This constant churn of using humanity and throwing them out, right? You do yeah. it for six months, I do it for six months, the other person does it for six months. So yeah. they keep changing us over, which means we can never organize. We can never figure out which end is up. We can never really get trained and never really coalesce into anything but a but an individual little slave laborer. That's yeah. by design. But you nailed a really important point, which any review of the gig economy will show you, is that there are people out there, because there are no regulations, that are working seven days a week, that are driving 16-hour days. Yeah. And I've done it myself. I yeah. had to take... I, I, during the, during the pandemic, when I was desperate to get income going, I think I did like 21 straight days of DoorDash in a row before I realized I was going to kill myself or somebody else imminently. Right. Right. And so there are no standards, right? And, and when you combine desperation with no standards, you get lots of stories. One of the folks that I interviewed for my podcast, uh, Dennis, uh, calls himself the rideshare hustler. He used to sleep in his car because yeah. it was easier just to turn on his phone at 7 a.m. and start working. So do studies about how sharp any of us are in the first three minutes after we wake up for driving. We're all drunk drivers, right? Yeah. If you just go hop in your car three minutes after waking, you are a drunk driver. You're drunk. Yeah, I used to, when I did Uber, uh, like at the start, it was, 
there was so few drivers in the city and I was, so I was busy. So I was like making decent money right. off of it. And I would go home and I would sleep and have the app on. And then it would go off. I'd get up, I'd go get in my car, I'd drive, <laughs> take somebody and I've then go home. Like it's it. And you can feel it when you're doing it. You can feel how dangerous it is you when can. you're in, in the car and you're going, like, I probably shouldn't be driving right now. I shouldn't be picking somebody up. Like I'm shouldn't be responsible for another person at all. Right. <laughs> so, right. but there, like you say, there's no rules, right? There's no limit on that. There are no rules. And individual apps have said over time, I don't think any of them are enforcing it. And they change their rules so frequently you wouldn't know. But there were individual apps that I think said that they wouldn't allow more than 60 hours in a week or something like that. But <laughs> in the day when you're using five different apps, what difference does it make? Yeah, I mean, if people right. are spending 13 hours on each app, it adds up to 70 hours in a week and none of them you know, crossed a barrier. So yeah. again, our previous regulations and rules that that provided safety for the general public from us yeah those are gone they just don't apply they just don't apply and and really really terrible things happen and, and so as you said you know we, we we wake up we get out there one of the things that we need to step back from real fast is the respect that comes to gig economy laborers. And I wanna make a real point here. This is a workforce that has been around forever, mm -hmm. was around before gig apps and will be around after gig apps. If gig apps disappeared today, this labor force would still be here, be ready to work, be able to work and be competent at working. So yep. this global grift that's going on provides nothing for anyone. It's a yep. freaking, Ponzi scheme. It's a lie. It's a scam where the oligarchs are destroying the last vestiges of labor security and labor empowerment. So, so when we, when we look at the workers, we have to recognize just like you, just like me, and just like all these people out there today, they want to support their families. They want to eat. They want to have a roof over their head. Sometimes yeah. even if they know they're being abused by corporate AI, they still have to do it because they still got to make sure they have a roof over their kid's head and they have yeah. food to need. So, so once you get this system in place and you get these people dependent, you get people like us dependent upon it and we are hard workers and we are motivated and we do have goals and we do have families and needs, then we're yeah. really trapped. Because you know as well as I do, if you're driving around five, six days a week, you're exhausted when you're done. You have no time to look for another job. You have no right. time to spend doing anything else. You work and you sleep. Yep. So, so the disparagement of low skilled, if you will, and I'm, I'm going to put it in quotes because I right. don't think that people are actually low skilled. I think people are by definition highly skilled. But, but the traditional category of low skilled or low wage labor has been maligned much too long and much too terribly because what I see is that the gig economy has actually proved the opposite. It's proved that there are millions and millions and millions upon millions of people around the world that are desperate to work and that yeah. only need an opportunity. And what did we provide them? We provided them the opportunity for gig app enslavement, not a real job. Right. So I think this is, this is back to who's holding the accountability here. It's, it's, 
the governments of the world. It's our regulars, it's our politicians, all of whom are too behind the curve of modern society and technology and humanity to even understand how deficient they are. Because I'm gonna come back to it. This labor force will exist after the yeah. gig economy goes away and it will go away. It, it does not have sustainability. It will either consume us and end us or it will be right. Gone. Yeah. Well, we're at an hour. So uh, is there anything that we should touch on that we haven't covered yet? Oh gosh. <laughs> you could live here and it's been it's been a lot of fun. No, I think I think that this is really it. I guess the thing that I would say as as I guess a plug for my work, if you will, and this isn't none of this is about me or you or anybody else. This is this is about humanity. Know for a fact that just like gig apps, Google and Twitter and any other media platform is suppressing the message of full dash closure. It's suppressing the distribution of full dash closure because what full dash closure does, in my opinion, more definitively than anybody else's work right now, is expose the gig economy and the corporatocracy for what it is and expose this monopolization scheme right. for global app slavery and global app colonization. So if I had any plea to the audience, it would be to share this work with people that you know that are in the gig economy, to share this work with people that you know that patronize the gig economy or that use their restaurant or, uh, or business to support the gig economy. Right. This is a toxic, toxic addition to society. And you can help beat it by making sure that Google and Twitter and all the other platforms that want to suppress this message don't succeed because I can assure you by the numbers and it's very easy, just like the gig economy can study numbers. I can study numbers. It's very easy to see how they're suppressing the full dash closure. So right. please share this work and share these thoughts. More importantly, whether you share the work or not of right. what the gig economy is in reality, because people have to know this, your leaders will not save you from this. They're not capable of it. And I, and that's yeah. very, very sad and scary but they're not capable of saving us from this menace. Well, I guess uh, I have a whole bunch of links for you, but uh, where's the best place for people to find you and your content? Uh, Jeff Thomas Black, full dash closure on Substack. If you put Perfect. in any of any of those, uh, any combination of those words, you'll, you'll find me. And awesome. I appreciate it very much. I really enjoy your work, Corey, and I hope we'll get a chance to talk again. For sure. Thanks. Thank you, everyone.